so good again, as I said, to be back with you. I would like to speak to you today about something I've been pondering a lot during my, my whatever we're calling it, semi-sabbatical, just getting books out and reading, thinking about my faith, um, my Lord, my uh, connection to him, my desire to pray. Um, and so prayer has been on my mind a lot. I've been doing a lot of praying for you because there's not a lot of other things that I've been able to do, particularly over the last two months for you uh, in service. And so in that state, I rely even more on prayer. That's not a bad thing. Um, I did have an older seminary professor who told us in class some 25 years ago that prayer really was the ministry of the local church. Everything else we did was coming along after prayer and picking up the pieces that were won during times of prayer. And I thought maybe that was a little bit overstating the case, but having been in ministry longer, I see more and more his point is true, that if you want to see things change, you need to learn to pray and pray effectively. So I'd like to talk to you today about what I've been thinking about, go back to an old and familiar passage I've taught on more than once um, from the Sermon on the Mount. You can go ahead and open to Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. I want to talk to you about what the Bible says concerning prayer promises. You pick up these nice little promise booklets, and they will talk about promises for your anxiety or your anger or for your loved ones. And invariably, if it's a well-assembled promise booklet, it'll have something in there about the prayer promises. God promises things to us if we will pray. And these promises are, are, are fantastic, but they also seem to be overstated and challenge our faith. The scriptures plainly teach us, you know, that we are to know the will of God. And once we know the will of God, then we're to pray for the will of God confidently, knowing that God will hear his will and then will answer it. And I can tell you that that is stated in the Bible about as plainly as can be. The scriptures plainly teach that. Ask, and it will be given to you. If you ask according to my will, I will do anything for you. These promises are vast. These promises are stunning. And they really make us take a step backwards and ask, but is that true for me in this dispensation with the way my life has gone. And I don't know how you read those promises, but to me, as I reflect back on them, as I've looked at them through my years as a Christian, they are at the very least challenging and may reorient some of the ways we even think about God when we come toward him in prayer. So I'll give you a couple of more of these promises just so you know they're there and they're plain and they're stark and they're kind of hard to weasel around if you're trying to excuse your unbelief. 1 John 5, 14 through 15. This is the confidence which we have before God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. <laughs> that is a powerful promise. Maintain a stellar confidence in Almighty God and he will grant what you asked him to do. John 16, verse 24, Jesus urged his disciples, until now you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. I'm not only going to tell you that you're going to get an answer to prayer, I'm guaranteeing it by saying I'll put my joy inside of you. John 14, 14, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. You're like, that's, that's crazy. That's nuts. Nobody says that. Jesus Christ said that to his own disciples. It's a pretty simple arrangement. We ask, according to God's will, God answers. Boom. It's like, that's an easy job description, isn't it? We ask, he answers. And there are many more verses like that. Indeed, prayer is supposed to be, listen, prayer is supposed to be a tool a powerful tool 
in the hands of a godly man or woman in order to bring about effect and change. The whole reason why God gave prayer to the church is so that godly men and godly women with godly aspirations will ask godly things that are beyond the possible and see them happen. That's the whole purpose for prayer. That we are in an impossible world and we cannot navigate the troubles and trials and tribulations that are thrown at us. And so God says, here I am, ask me and I'll do it. And again, I say, that's a pretty simple arrangement. I can, I think I can remember that. <laughs> you ask, God does. James 5, 16, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. What, what did Elijah accomplish with that mighty tool? Answer, the heavens were shut up for three and a half years, according to a covenant that God had made through Moses to the nation of Israel, that if they turned to other gods, he would not provide the rain. And so the, the water was shut up and the drought and the famine came. Imagine that, a man controlling the weather. I just lay this out before you and say, wow, look at these promises. Look what God has given us with prayer. I could take you back through my life, and I pray that you have the joy of seeing this in your own life. Those of you that have walked with Christ for a while, I can go back two, three decades and lay out hundreds of requests that I keep little tabs of, that I asked, God answered, and moved me on here, a ministry that would be started, someone that was sick and that got healed and, or at least lived longer than uh, they were expected to live. People that where provisions were made, missionaries that cried out for a special kind of help with a specific prayer and got an answer to prayer because they were willing to employ their prayer base and say, you know what, we're going to pray for this thing. And keeping track of those answers to prayers means something. It, it happened. It's history. God was there. Some of you, if you keep any records at all, you look back and you'll see items you were worried about, items that were impediments to you. They, they plagued your thinking. They bothered you. They made you even challenge the reality of your own faith. And there it is listed, scribbled down somewhere on an answer that you had. And you look at it and you're like, God answered my prayer too. You're right, he did. And you need to remember that. Because you believed in him and all of the worrying and all of the, the trouble that you felt, it was all unneeded. What you needed more of was a staring into the face of your mighty Savior and groping with what a kind and generous God he was and how he wanted to work in your life and change you and develop you and mold you and make you braver and polish that faith of yours and refine that faith of yours because that faith at the base of everything that you do is so important to the Lord God that he's going to keep molding it and challenging it until it comes out the way he wants it to be. Yes, God answers prayer. More recently, I've fallen into what many would label the, you know, the valley of the, the shadow of death from Psalm 23. So it's a, it's a very long valley. You know, some of the trials that I've been in, I kind of get in the trial, and I look out through the valley. I don't know if you do this, but I like to visualize things. And I think, oh, where's the end of this valley? It's so, so long. It's so dark. It's kind of murky down here. I don't like it. I like getting up on the higher places. I like looking out over the landscape. I like knowing where I am. What's God doing? What's next? How do I handle this? Ah, I see light at the end of the tunnel. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. We go into the valley, and it seems this is a little longer than it appeared. And yes, it gets longer, and something gets compiled on top of it, and we pray for mercy, and, and we don't get mercy. We get something even more difficult, it feels, something you can feel that hurts, something that's in your own flesh, something that's there to remind you what a weak person you are, something that's there to, to even maybe play with your mind to say God's not listening at all, that if you ask, it's going to get worse for you, so don't even bother asking. Because the last three times you prayed, it got worse, not better. And that's what we're walking through now. And uh, all the, the writing off the quick answers to prayer and getting excited about that. My list is not like that anymore. My list has 
unanswered prayers, or so it seems. My list has, Tom, you're going to have to walk further through pain. And I come to these mighty prayer promises, promises I preach, promises that should excite my faith, and they're a little harder to look at now. That's saying the least. I don't deserve the answer to even one of my prayers, but I depend on the answer to every single one of them. I don't know about you. I don't go to God and say, God, you owe me. But when God gives me an answer to prayer, I get down as low as I can, and I thank him for providing for me when I didn't deserve it. Whether it's give us this day our daily bread, and then he does, or whether it is forgive us our trespasses, right? Every day God provides for us in some way if we look. These have been hard times. I've gone to the Psalms. I've gone to Isaiah. I've gone to Job. Of course, I went to Job. I tried to find in his own wording what he was articulating back to God and how some of those thoughts are in my mind and how they come out of me and why they come out of me and what I'm supposed to learn from that. You plead your case, but God does not yet deliver. You think that you've done what is right, but God doesn't seem to support it. And my trial is prolonged, and maybe your trial is being prolonged. And it's longer than you've had before. One of the things Spurgeon wrote is, don't expect as you get older that your trials are going to become lesser. It's not like graduating, or it's not like uh, retirement and playing golf. The Lord treasures the faith of his tried and true saints, and he brings the hardest tests upon those who are older in the faith. David got older, things got tough for him. Moses got older, things got tough for him. Look at Abraham, right? Offer your only son now. I thought I had done enough. I came to the land of promise, and I've seen no heir. And yet now, with my heir, you want me to take him to Mount Moriah and slaughter him as a sacrifice to you. Can you imagine? The greater the faith, the greater the test of the challenge, so God demands it of his servants. Well, your trial may be prolonged. Your tears may flow longer. You might have. The cliches that people bring to you about the benefits of suffering, they won't suffice for you. The pain, literal pain, may become unbearable and play with your, your mind, with your being, with your outlook on life. And it's pleasurable. It's reassuring to find within the Word of God that saints have always grappled with the troubles and trials and tribulations that God has demanded that they walk through for His own purposes. I've preached from Psalm 13 before, so it's more familiar to me, but just listen to the opening words again. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Now, this is how he felt, right? I have been forgotten. And how long? Will this go on forever? What is my faith supposed to do with your silence? Or with you offering to me the very opposite of what appears to me to be good? How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? All the day. Job talks about the arrows of the Almighty, and he's trying to understand the painful providential circumstances he's being required to go through. And he said, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me. God hunted me down and he shot me. Their poison my spirit drinks. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. He was trying to understand. Well, God still does not deliver. Even though there's a band of prayer warriors crying out, saying, God, deliver your saint. He still chooses not to. And the trial is prolonged. In Psalm 86, verses 1 and 2, it says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. I don't know how many times you read through the Bible and you read a word like that, just kind of skip over it. But boy, did that mean a lot to me, what he was saying. Answer me. 
And there's a, there's a please in there. There's a pleading. I have to have an answer. Why? For I am afflicted. Now, when you're hurting and you're afflicted and you're needy, the one thing you want from your God is answer me, right? Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. He's not boasting in himself. There. He's just saying, I've oriented my entire life towards you. So please answer me, you know, your servant who trusts in you. I'm not going anywhere else, God. I, I've thought about it. I've thought about walking away. And then, like Peter, you have to ask, but where would I go? Only Christ holds and has the words of everlasting life. Only he has the power to impart to me life after death forever and ever, paradise and heaven. I'm not walking away from him. He's done it all. He's my God. And so we cry out, preserve my soul. But heaven still appears to be silent. And here are these prayer promises. And here the believer, after persevering and doing more than he thinks, persevering beyond what he thought was persevering, going on to the next level of persevering, if there is one, and then still not receiving what they want, and then finding, finding again and understanding that God is good and persevering through that. And still the answer does not come. And then coming back again to the word of God and saying, well, what does God say to me? Who is this God? Why does he require the pain and pain from someone who's old or someone who's weaker? Why the piling up of the pain? Why not just, God, we're calling out to you to be merciful for our sister so-and-so or our brother so-and-so or Pastor Leek or whatever. Why not just hear that and be compassionate and bring about the answer and put away the suffering and let's get on with other things, God? Why not that? When the word of God begins to squeeze and yield wisdom for us about how God is working on our faith and our spiritual sight and understanding of who our God is whom we gather to worship, that we really come to know him at a deeper level, that we would be believers at a deeper level, that we would not be kind of surfacy with our faith, but go deeper with God and get to know him. One study that we're not going to get into this morning, but I'm so tempted to, is just to take the theme of intimacy with God and roll your Bible back to the beginning and get your little concordance out and start, start looking up every passage of Scripture where you find that it is very important to God that God be close to us, that He wants to be living and dwelling in and along with us, starting from the very beginning when God decides to create man by using his own hands in the garden, taking the dirt, making man in his own image. What an intimate relationship. And then we see how he comes to the garden calling out for Adam, but Adam had already sinned. And his first question to Adam is, where are you? That's a relational question. He's been meeting with him. Where are you, Adam? There was a beautiful song back in the 70s about that, where God cried out through the dark, where are you? And he had sinned, and he turned his back on God, and he had to step out and say, I hid because of, and he goes on to explain and confess his sin. You go to the very end of the Bible, the book ends, you go to Revelation 21, and there is God saying, behold, in other words, sit up and take notice, this is something not to miss. Behold, look on this. The tabernacle of God is among men. And God will live among them. And he will dwell among them. And he will wipe away their tears from their eyes. There will be no longer any death or crying or pain. The old order of things have passed away. Behold, I'm making all things new. This is our God drawing in his wayward creation. And he does a lot of that through our prayers. He wants that intimacy with us. He desires that closeness with us. And so he, he casts out these magnificent prayer promises that yield relational truths and relational power to us. And that if you really think about it, everything that's going to happen in the end times, believers are going to be praying for that to happen. It's all going to fall in line. And who knows, you and I may see some of it fall in line. And then there we are 
living with God in the ends forever and ever and ever. In the millennial kingdom, we're with God. In the new heaven and the new earth, we're with God. When Jesus came back in John 14, John the apostle said, you know, Jesus has tabernacled among us. His, he has become flesh and he now lives among us. He is now dwelling among us. Yes, God wants to be with us. And God wants relationship with us. So if you're startled and stunned by these prayer promises, I'm asking you this morning to back up a little bit and remember who he's talking to. He's talking to people that he has redeemed and saved from all of eternity, and he wants you in a personal relationship with him. And so he's granting to you these promises. I know that was a massive introduction. But uh, John, uh, Matthew 7, and I want to read 7 through 11 so that you can kind of have that in your mind as we now jump into this passage. And this is at the very end. In fact, this closes the main body of the Sermon on the Mount because everything after verse 12 is sort of an invitation to enter into the kingdom of God. So it's a plea at the end. But really the ending of the main body of this sermon comes in verse 12. I'll start reading from verse 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Verse 9, or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And then he really brackets the end of the Sermon on the Mount by talking about the Law and the Prophets, which is what he began with after the Beatitudes on the other side. Now, a prayer promises in the New Testament and ones that are clear, I think this one stands pretty high, guys. You would expect a man like Jesus, who knows God thoroughly, to give a more nuanced understanding of prayer fascinating to me that the model prayer that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples was so short. People use it when they're ever in a tragic or a harrowing circumstance. The dread of some circumstances over them and they say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they're petrified. And they're reciting whatever they remember grandma or uncle pop happened to say to them or whatever. It's a very simple prayer in a sense. Start with all of the praise. Make sure you confess your sins in there. Ask for physical and spiritual blessings. Be guarded against evil and don't forget to close with praise. God's name is highest. It's a great model for how to pray. The Lord Jesus never himself prayed it. It was a model for disciples. Then you go to other places and you look at his prayers and they are simple. And you would expect there to be a lot of nuanced, high theological kind of teaching coming from the Son of God the son of man, to explain how properly to talk to God. And then you get this kind of statement at the end of the sermon, ask and it'll be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open. That is simple. That is powerful. And I think he believed every word. Don't any of you be anxious for one moment of your life, is kind of what he said in Matthew 6, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be added to you. You don't need to worry about it. Did Jesus really believe that with the complexities of, of living? Just seek first God's kingdom. That's it. I don't have to worry about what's going to happen. God will provide it for me. I think Jesus not only believed that, I think he taught it. I think he lived it. And here he is giving advice. This is how you are to pray. Oh, saint of God, in the age where you are to seek first the kingdom of God, in the age where you're trying to figure out with all the things happening in society, who's going to be looking out for me? Ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So direct, so clear, sweeps everything else away. What does that mean about my relationship with God? What does God want from me? How does he look upon me? Who am I in relationship to him? What am I to be thinking about? And do I sometimes get too nuanced in the things I say and not just realize that what God is trying to tell me is I'm your father and I am here to work for your benefit? Lean on me, trust on me, cry out to me, I'll do it. So it can't be that. It can't mean that. There's too many if, ands, and buts. Well, as I've gone through these years now of suffering with cancer, without any clear sign that I'm healed, 
there's no sign that I'm healed from cancer. I've often asked the Lord, but what about promises like this, Lord? They are cogent. They're clear. They're encompassing. Man, they cover a large part of life, Lord. You are both merciful and mighty, as that hymn so eloquently expresses. Merciful means, I'm sorry, mighty means you can do anything. None of us argues that. But merciful means you often choose to do something compassionate to those who hurt. But Lord, I'm hurting. And you might be in that situation where you say, Lord, I'm hurting. I'm not hurting just today. I've been hurting last week and the week before and the month before and the year before. What about this, Lord? I've asked for compassion. I've asked for healing. I've asked for pain reduction. I've asked to be noticed. It doesn't seem like you've noticed us. Here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught prayer is something we should constantly be engaged in because it's effective. Effective? Well, how long does it take to work? Prayer is never meant to be a religious exercise merely. Prayer is designed to make a difference. Some of us who've been taught, rightfully so, the sovereignty of God are tempted in our prayers to just toss up our hands and say, well, in the end, the will of God be done. Well, there's nothing wrong with that, and I think that's why it's safe to do that. We do do that. But prayer is also meant for godly people to look at their world and say, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Something's supposed to change here. God gave us the tool of prayer, not just to throw our hands up and say, this is the way it's always going to be, the will of God be done. But for us to go to our Heavenly Father and say, Father, this is not the way you want it. I don't think, and here's why, and plead our case and see God, the Eternal One, change things that only He can change. That's how it's designed. That's what prayer's for. Prayer changes things. How does that work? I don't know. I don't know how it works. Exactly. Jesus did not elaborate and say, ask, well, let me tell you how I, I'm going to go about answering that prayer request. He doesn't give us the, the back scenes, does he? He doesn't run us to the back and say, this was really fun how I answered this prayer. We don't get that. We just get, ask, and it will be given to you. Well, we're told here, if we humbly beg, that's how I take asking. We are beseeching. And then God does the answering. Great. Why? Well, we're told God is good. We're told that his character is good, that he's going to reveal the goodness of his character. And when he reveals the goodness of his character, like a good father, as he gives these gifts to us, as you ask and you find out that he gives you exactly what you ask, or if you weren't as careful in your request, you find out he gives you something better than you ask, then you realize, wow, this is revealing a God that I've read about in the Bible but I haven't been as close to him in my own personal walk. Now I'm getting to know him. I'm getting to know him. I'm getting to know him better. It's not just like that woman laid her life on the line for God named Esther and she walked into the king's court. It's not just that one of the great men of God did that at times past. It's this faith thing, this relationship with God thing works for people today like me, like you that we can believe God, that we can draw closer to him. Some of the delay and some of the lack of answer is because at the root of what you believe about God, the root of about your relationship with God, God is trying to grab a hold of that, draw you closer to deepen the roots and draw you closer to him as you go through this ordeal. And the fact is, it's just a fact. The fact is God speaks to us or whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts and screams at us in our pains. True? It's just the way it is. And if he's got your attention through ailment, if he's got attention through some relational disaster, if he's got your attention through some other really difficult thing, that's not such a bad place, brother or sister, for you to be in. That means he's got your ear also. You're listening. How does prayer work exactly? Again, I don't know. I just know he says he'll do it. And when he does it, he'll draw you closer. And you'll see his good character. And as you see his good character, you're going to want to get, him, get to know him better. And then as you get to know him better, you're going to get so excited about him. And then you're going to pray more. 
And then your prayer life is going to become like a warrior's life. And that's what he's doing in your life. That's how he's drawing you closer. That's what he's doing in my life as well. He's molding us and grading us and working on us and shaping us until we can get to that point where we know him better and we love him and we discern his will more. Are your prayers effective? If they're not, they're going through a process where you can get to know the Lord, your God, better. And thus, your prayers will become more effective. I think that's what my God is doing with me. That is something that I am in the midst of and that I delight in. And it's a wonderful thing to be taught by God. I'm taking as much time as I can just reading, as I said, Scripture, praying, taking time, no interruptions, no deadlines, and doing all that I can do to, to feed that in my own life uh, because the pain is a good constant reminder that we have a God that cares for us in the midst of all of that. I wish, isn't it also just kind of cutting on the part of the devil and one side of things and amazingly wise on the part of our, our God on the other side of things that where we need each other even more now in some ways, those of us going through deeper trials, we have this imposed kind of distance from one another. And it makes the trial harder. And it makes our compliance with God and getting after, not getting after him, but getting after helping other people harder, more difficult, more laborious. Satan, I'm sure, is using that to tear down your faith and make you wander away with someone listening online. To, to move away and not draw in and, and let your mind drift away from God. Don't do that. We all need to find more creative ways to pull each other back because that relationship is so important. If it's important to God, it should be important to us. Draw the folks back in. Watch over their faith. Care for them. Yes, even though life is confusing, life is messy, Jesus Christ came into this world to reveal the invisible Heavenly Father to us, and He would have us believe the Heavenly Father. He would have us believe the Father's promises and act upon them. Even when we are found to be weaker in faith than we thought, we are to believe that God is strong, God is loving, God's promises are true for us in our ailments. And that's what He wants to do. He wants to fortify our faith. So here's really our outline, and I guess we won't get to finish it today. But uh, our outline is really just two things. To fortify your faith, to make your faith stronger, really two simple things, two unshakable truths. First, the truth that prayer is effective. That's in verses 7 and 8. And second, because God is gracious to us. Prayer is effective because God is gracious. Those are the two foundational or unshakable truths that we have here. You can go to prayer. You can expect it to be effective. Why? Because God is kind and gracious towards you. He really is that way. And as you get to know him, you'll find that out more. So let's just start with the first one. Prayer is effective. Verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. Again, the clear structure that Jesus uses to exhort his disciples here. Simple. Three commands. Ask. Seek. Knock. Three imperatives. All in the present tense. What does that mean? That means don't ask just once and dump it, but ask and keep asking. It means, in the Greek, seek and keep seeking. It means knock. And if they don't answer it first, you have to keep knocking. That's sort of the meaning behind the Greek tense there in the present. So Jesus is not referring to a kind of a one-time popcorn kind of prayer. Snap, crackle, pop, and it's all over with my prayer time. Let's get on to something else. If that's how you view prayer, you're not going to have a very deep and effective prayer life. Jesus was teaching his disciples to make requests so dear to our hearts that we keep coming back to present these requests to God. We're not going to stop presenting them to God. We're not going to come with meaningless repetition like the Gentiles were scolded for doing back in chapter 6. The pagan chants that Jesus condemned in chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. No. But we are to come back to God with the same request, with ever-increasing intensity, maybe with ever-increasing logic. We, we put purpose and persistence into our prayer requests. Because as we've prayed about it more, 
and thought through the scriptures more, we see there's a need for what we're asking. And so we don't back down. We keep praying. These are the kinds of prayer requests that God has promised to answer. They are purposeful. They are persistent. Many there are out there right now, right here at Hope Bible Church. Many there are in our greater Christian world who will begin. They will ask, but they will not keep asking. They will seek, but they will quit in the middle of their search. That's sad. There are many like that. You might say that the fervency of their prayer request fizzled in the pond of complacency, worldly distraction, and honestly, just frank unbelief. So please listen. Jesus teaches us that persistence in prayer is required. Why? Why not just answer the request right there? Right there and then. He's done that before. Samson got the ground broken up when he complained about almost dying of thirst in the wilderness. But most of the time, God finds pleasure in the pleading of his children. It brings the Lord our God pleasure to hear the faithful cries of his own people. It draws out of our hearts our true dependency on God. Who is God? He is our benevolent deity. It draws out the fact that this God who has told us to ask is there for us. He wants to answer prayers, but he is going to draw out our faith and he is going to demonstrate his goodness. You're going to have to plea and you're going to have to keep pleading sometimes. And that will draw you closer to God. You will find yourself seeking him more and more. You'll find yourself wanting to understand his ways better than you have before. Well, God loves that kind of intimacy, guys, with his creation. We really should write some maxim over the top of our prayer journals or our prayer time there. Something like, God our Father wants us entering into his presence constantly and anticipating the answers to his prayers expectantly. Are your prayers effective? Not if you're impatient. Don't be like the sprinters that want the race to be over in a few steps. With prayer, the better analogy is the middle distance runner and for some of the requests, the long distance runner. I think prayer corresponds with the marathon or better. Some of the requests God is giving to you are going to take decades before God answers them. He's going to arrange things in the lives of other people. And then he's going to wait and see if you are even really all that interested in the answer to that prayer request after all. Because I'm going to tell you that he kept tabs of it. But the question is whether or not we kept tabs of it or not. I know sometimes to my own shame, I've gone back to old journals and looked at a prayer request and realized the Lord my God answered that request some five, ten years before I even acknowledged to him that he did it. And at the time, it was a request that seemed so important to me. How sad that is. Why is praying worth it? Jesus says because they're guaranteed results. It's not just ask, seek, knock. But he says, ask so that you can be given it, right? Seek so you can find, knock so it will be open. You can say that if you didn't knock, it wouldn't be open. If you didn't search, you wouldn't find. Some people want to know, what does it really mean to talk to God? What is is a good definition for, for prayer? How would you answer that? I would just simplify it and say, it is talking to God. But in talking to God, There are times where things are going to come readily and quickly because things have already been set up in your life that way. But in talking to God, there are going to be requests where God is going to look at you and say, do you really understand what you're asking? And of course, the answer is probably no. We don't understand all that we're asking. When James and John's mother pleaded with the Lord to seat her two sons at his left and at his right in the kingdom, Jesus' response sort of indicated that they didn't really know what they were asking, but the Father would give the answer to that request. We have things we ask God, but we're not always sure what we know is best. So we always have to leave it in Father's hands. Amen? 
because we understand his wisdom transcends us. But we can't be lazy in that because he's given us a word that's filled with wisdom and is meant to train us to understand how to ask him requests that he will answer. And so we need to think about these requests. Three exhortations. Some people believe that these three exhortations also indicate three levels of giving, or I should say three levels of asking. In other words, anybody can do the first one, and that is ask. That seems to be a dedicated kind of prayer. You might call it dependent praying. I ten is the uh, verb. Ask. That's humble asking. That's simple asking. Many things in life we have to ask for, right? Give us this daily, daily bread. I already mentioned that. But then there's another level of prayer, some people think. Seek. Seeking. We call that fervent praying. We've gone now from dependent praying to fervent praying. It's zeteo, seek after something. Really go strong and hard after that request. There's more earnestness in that kind of a prayer. Psalm 119 and verse 12 may be an example of this. How blessed are those who observe God's testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. Well, there's not many of us that seek God with all of our heart. Some people don't have because they quit, and they don't have because they didn't seek. And then there's the upper, the upper level of prayer, maybe, as some have seen this, from the verb cruo, and that is knock. We would call this prevailing praying, knock and keep knocking. The knocking obviously refers to some kind of an impediment, a door, since the effect is that the opening, the door will be opened in verse 8. We take it as a door here. This represents the needs to get past a barrier. Oh, you have asked, but things are desperate. And so now you've hit a barrier. You're praying for something that is unusually unresponsive. Have you been there? That's where I am now unusually unresponsive. You just can't get it to move. You're knocking and knocking and knocking. You say, Pastor, are there really times where we have to pray like that? Yeah. And even down on your, your face, just knocking away, praying with all of your heart. You're submitted to the will of God, no matter the outcome, but you're asking, seeking, and knocking for a specific outcome. When we face opposition in prayer, we will often resort to our own resources, unfortunately. We have a lot of things in the back of our mind, and we resort to those things when things don't go the way we want them. We don't pull those tools out until we get a little more desperate. But when we see God's not doing things the way we want, and we've been praying, praying with a spouse, praying for other things, it's not working out. Then unfortunately, what some of us do is we go and we resort to some of these other ideas we have so we can get the thing done. And that's not faith either. That's us trying to manipulate things to get it the way we want it to be. Because that's the only outcome we will ever accept. Well, that's not God. If the action that you're taking is done out of worry and unbelief, and we settle for a solution like that, that's not going to bring God to glory. That's not us. That's not, that's not God's glory. That's glory for us. God has a way of answering prayer requests that kind of have his fingerprints on it, that kind of bring glory back to him. Why does, and I want to ask this again, why does God require that seeking? Why does he push us so hard? Why does he require the knocking? Well, again, the answer is embedded in what is very important to God. In your life, in my life, what's very important to God is the quality of our faith. What we believe about him how we perceive him, how we love him, how we see his goodness oozing out of him, that we see him as this loving and generous and gracious heavenly father, which we're getting to in the second half of this. That if we being evil beings can figure out a way to give really good gifts to our own children, then obviously he's a loving God. He's going to give us great things, fabulous things. He wants our faith there to believe he's that good and have no doubts about him. As he told his disciples, why do doubts arise in your heart? Why do we excuse our doubts and call it something else that sounds theologically acceptable? Why do we not understand how loving our Heavenly Father is? Why do we not grow in a deeper relationship with him? Don't resort to your own resources, beloved. 
God is testing your faith. That's what it says in James 1. God is testing your faith. That's what it says in 1 Peter 1. He's refining you. He's putting you through the cooker. He's putting you through the heat because what comes out is more important to him. It's more precious to him to see your faith active, loving God, refined. He also wants to humble his child. How much we are proud. How much we depend on ourselves. Pride is probably the biggest barrier to walking with God. And he wants you walking humbly with him. Walk humbly with your God, it says in the prophets. How do you get there? Well, you can't walk with God if you walk in pride. God works on eliminating pride from your life while we pray. And when he delays in answering and the pain bears down on you, God's still working on you. God hasn't forgotten your prayer request. You might have, but he hasn't. And so he gives to everyone. Now that word, everyone, is startling there. And of course, in the context, we need to make sure everybody understands here before we close that that everyone doesn't mean every single person in the whole world, whether they're a believer in Jesus Christ or not. When he says everyone who asks receives and everyone who seeks finds and everyone who knocks it's be open, he's talking in the Sermon on the Mount to disciples of his. To those who are willing to pick up the cross of Christ and follow after him, he's talking to believers in Jesus Christ. He's talking to those that he's going to invite to enter into the kingdom of heaven, to enter through the narrow gate. Every one of a disciple like that, every one of you, not the pastors, not just the apostles, not just the great people, every disciple that is out there who brings this kind of asking, seeking, and knocking, God will work on his behalf. You, he will work on your behalf. So yes, 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 by all means, he is speaking about your prayer. You are a person who believes in him. An unbeliever is not. You are a person who's going to ask the right things for the most part. An unbeliever is not. You are a person that's seeking to glorify God in the things that you ask in your, your prayers. Well, an unbeliever is not living for the glory of God. This is not for unbelievers. This is for you. It's just not for what some would call super saints. It's for all of us. Some things, beloved, God has chosen not to give us until we ask. And then even then, not until we seek. And then even then, not until we try to really understand the character of our God. Who is he really like? God, are you not going to give? What do you give? What can I expect from you? And you start knocking. And then he shows himself the kind, merciful, gracious, good, generous, heavenly father that transcends the kind of daddy any of us would be. Matthew Henry so beautifully writes, those that would be rich in grace must betake themselves to the poor trade of begging, that is begging from God, and they will find it a thriving trade. Beg from God and he will give. Someone said we ought not to tiptoe around the throne room of God and fail to ask what we really came in there to receive. Otherwise, we don't believe our Heavenly Father is gracious and generous. When you seek, Jesus says you're going to find. So come on in and seek diligently. What is it that you're seeking from God? Do you need in your soul peace? Well, what did Jesus say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Do you need wisdom? That's emphatic also. James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask without doubting. Do you need direction? I do. Do you need guidance? I do. Do you need strength for today? I most certainly do. Even when you seek God, you will find even him. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. Sometimes the door you're knocking on seems like the door I'm knocking on. One of these big medieval castle doors. And you can't even get your arm across the moat to knock on it. And you're like, oh my goodness. How can I reach that? Looks like they got to let the whole drawbridge down or something like that. 
God, what can I do here? I have failing strength. Oh, the Lord loves to hear the pleads of his children. Don't stop. There will be a day that God swings those iron doors wide open and you'll look at them and you'll be amazed. But brother or sister, he's trying your faith now. He's testing the quality of your relationship with him. He's going down to the base with you and digging down there and seeing what's real. God wants to use you. And as you're getting older, God wants to use you even more. And you must believe in your God. This that he is training you to knock is much better than any of the open sesame gimmicks that might be so easy. We are dealing with the son of God who said that he holds within his own hands the keys of death and of Hades. And he told us to draw nigh unto him. Jacob wrestled with God all night until he prevailed and we're told that God was delighted to be prevailed upon. The Bible is filled with people who asked God for things and knocked and who got their answers. The Bible is filled with appeals of a God, Old Testament or New Testament. Come and see what I will give you. Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble and I shall rescue you and you will honor me. Jeremiah 20, 12. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. Nothing excites us to prayer more than the conviction that we will be heard. These are the promises of God, the prayer promises of God in Scripture that Jesus gave to us, beloved. And if you have studied the life of Christ, you know that Jesus was no hypocrite. He lived these words. He lived the life of prayer. And I want to pick up with that. Life of prayer from the Lord Jesus. Next time and show again that what Jesus was trying to do with his disciples is to get us to understand the goodness of God in such a way that it would transform our prayer lives, make us believe God beyond what would be normal, almost to the point of what would be considered insane. And there God is doing a great work. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then the brothers will come back up and lead us in a time of worship. Father, we just began to skate on the top of the ice of this passage, I believe, Lord, about what you're trying to get us to understand about your power and goodness available to disciples. That we are in this terribly sinful world, and you've given us a fabulous tool that we would pray and find answers in difficult situations, sometimes fast sometimes slowly, and yet there you are, our God, answering, molding, shaping, building. Father, I'm so concerned that we settle into what we believe these promises mean, and they don't challenge our faith, that there's more you're willing to give if there's more we're willing to believe. We take people who have abused promises, and we run from them sometimes, Father, not listen to the breadth and the power and the depth of these promises. Oh, that you might transform the way we ask, that you might change us as we draw nigh to you and worship you. We ask it, of course, in Christ's name, your son. Amen.